1: Hello and welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Sarah Whitmire sitting in this week for Bob Zaltzberg. Along with me is co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. Today we're talking about the federal government shutdown. Congress failed to agree on a budget Monday night, creating a partial shutdown of the federal government. Many federal workers in Indiana are receiving furloughs. And some could have their pay delayed if the shutdown lasts long enough. The deep split in Congress largely revolves around health care reform. And in Indiana's congressional delegation has mostly fallen along party lines. We hope you'll join the conversation today. You can call us at 855-0811 or toll free. That number is one 877 285-WFIU. You can also join the live chat at org slash Noon Edition and send in your questions that way or you can tweet at us at Noon Edition. So let's go ahead and just introduce our guest. Frank Nierwicki is here. He's a visiting lecturer with the School of Public and Environmental Affairs at Indiana University. Jim Barnes is a professor with the School of Public and Environmental Affairs. And then joining us on the phone today is Arnold Scott. He's the National Vice President of the American Federation of Government Employees for the 6th District. Welcome to all of you. Thanks for being here. Hi, Sarah. Glad Thank you're here. you. Bye. Thank you. So, Jim, I'm hoping you can get us started here by helping just put this into context. When was the last shutdown? How many we had?
2: Well, the, the last uh, shutdown, which was a big one, came in 1995 and 1996 when there was a standoff between uh, uh, then-President Clinton and mm-hmm. a, a Congress that had uh, majorities in both the Senate and the House, and a newly, I think, newly elected uh, Speaker, Newt Gingrich. My own uh, personal experience came during the uh, Reagan administration, when in the course of the the eight years I was in senior positions there, we had eight uh, shutdowns, but most of them were one to three days. They were relatively uh, short. They arose out of differences between the uh, uh, President and the Congress over uh, priorities. But uh, in a number of those, Congress had had provided a, uh, a continuing resolution to provide some funding, mm-hmm. and those issues didn't get 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 worked out. So there was a a temporary uh, shutdown. People got to the table and and worked things out, and uh, we went forward. On the other hand, if you're uh, in a leadership position in in an agency at that point, you've got lots of employees that have mortgages and kids Mm -hmm. and grocery bills uh, who get very distracted—understandably distracted by, uh, am am I going to have a— job on Monday, am I going to have a a paycheck coming in? Mm -hmm.
0: And do they ever make uh, the pay for folks who have missed work, uh, no fault of their own, retroactive?
2: The the practice in the past has been to do that. Now, I've seen some of the newspaper articles that I've read this time suggested that that's not as much of a uh, sure thing. And in addition, you have – with the incident yesterday at the Capitol, the shooting and the uh, efforts of the uh, Capitol Police, uh, the news reports noted that those people are going to get paid, but but they won't get paid until this is, uh, is uh, resolved.
0: Yeah, I so, heard Nancy Pelosi say this morning that they have Capitol Police working without pay at the moment. And there is nothing currently in place to retroactively pay them, that they're just assuming that that will be the case. The, the
3: one thing that I've heard uh, this morning is the House may bring up a bill to retroactively pay the federal employees. Of course, that hasn't been passed yet. So
1: We're seeing some in, immediate fa- effects here of the shutdown. But if it lasts long enough, what are some of the other impacts we could start to see?
3: Well, um, I'm Frank Nierwicki. Basically, the issue on local uh, – I'm an expert on local and state government. Uh, you'll see the duration is the issue. Uh, the longer we stay out, the longer there's there's uh, ramifications. When I was a uh, um, senior planner for uh, uh, Indiana Department of Transportation, we did uh, – and I was actually working at NDOT when the 95-96 uh, shutdown came in, was that uh, – I had to approve uh, reimbursable uh, grants for local communities. So um, usually it's not a problem if it only lasts a few days. Uh, Usually we, at the end of the quarter, you have like 15 days to approve the the payments. And then they go back to the local government. Uh, Most governments at that point had enough money on hand Mm -hmm. that they didn't really lose out. But I had one jurisdiction in southern Indiana that needed the money right away because they didn't really have any cash reserves. Mm -hmm. Wow.
0: Um, Arnold, I think you wanted to speak to the point that we had just uh, finished with prior to this. Did you have something to add about the payment of uh, federal government employees?
4: Well, I think the only thing that I was going to add to was that that, uh, I contacted uh, Senator Donnelly's office this week to ask him if he would uh, co-sponsor a piece of legislation on behalf of federal workers to uh, see if we could get uh, federal workers retroactively paid Mm -hmm. once the the shutdown is over. So we are working on trying to get legislation introduced in the House and the Senate to uh, make that happen.
0: Before the show, we talked briefly, and you said that you had been up in uh, Kokomo with the former Grissom Air Force Base yesterday. What was going on up there?
4: Well, we had a group of employees at Grissom Air Force Base who were rallying over the shutdown, who had been affected by this shutdown. And you know, I, one of the other things that I wanted to add is why you talk about federal employees, you talk about the ones that you have people who are working, who are not being paid right now, they're considered essential, and then you got employees who have been furloughed, who. You know once we enact this legislation that may be paid, you know may get paid, but then you have non appropriated fund employees who uh, or or the maids and uh people like that who once even this happens, they won't be paid irregardless as to what happened. Their hours have been cut, they're only working three hours a week, some of them uh some of them only. Told me they only work in, uh, nine hours a month. Uh-huh. I mean, and that's—I mean, this is no way to treat federal workers. I mean, is is it's horrible how the Congress has the the federal workers in the middle of this fight. You know, what's disheartening about it is that federal workers. I mean, they've received a three-year pay freeze. You know, new employees uh, who come on are paying 2.3 percent more in their salaries. I mean, in their benefits, and you know, you got workers who's been furloughed for up to six days already. I mean, and now, I mean, they're being threatened with riffs and now you got a lockout. I mean, how are they supports supposed to support their families? Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> It's disheartening.
1: I want to remind people of our numbers when they where they can call in and join the conversation eight five five zero eight one one toll free one eight seven seven two eight five WFIU. I think some important points there. I hope we can follow up on here in the studio. Just if, if we can back up and just explain who is affected and and why it's not just across the board.
0: Yeah, it doesn't necessarily make sense who is and who isn't. It's hard to, it's hard to understand.
3: Well, well, some of this was, was uh, Arnold was talking about the essential employees. Um, that is actually determined uh, within the departments. Um, there's different uh, departments, and I haven't, I don't have the sheet in front of me. Some agencies have been, been hit much harder than others. I believe NASA was the hi- highest one on the list, yeah. something like 97% of their employees uh, you have, uh, we're not going to be bringing our troops home uh, off station, so they're essential. Uh, you have the Capitol Police, obviously, on 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 guard there in the Capitol. So there's a number of people that, first of all, if you're essential or non-essential. Now, the disheartening thing about that is, how do you like to be called a non-essential employee? <laughs> it just does not go over very well. Um, everyone's important, obviously. So, uh, it depends by the department and the activity that they're actually in. And some
2: of it, I think, also has to do with the uh, funding. If, if the yes. positions funded out of appropriations, those are the the uh, people that uh, are at, at risk. On the other hand, we've got some uh, officers that have constitutional responsibilities: the president, mm-hmm. the Congress, the right. Supreme Court, that are going to get paid
3: uh, ir- irrespective. Yeah, so some, the, some so people the, may may argue if they're actually essential themselves but
0: so okay so for example yellowstone and all the national parks are closed right let's say heaven forbid there's a a big fire at at yellowstone while nobody's there lightning strikes and and you know the the visitors aren't there uh do, do the folks who are normally responsible for for taking care of firefighting and that kind of thing do they get called into action
3: they would probably be called up and i think jim might be might know a little bit more about this fema right now there's a possible hurricane in in the gulf and they just recently called the federal government has called up some of the FEMA workers to actually be on station there in the Gulf because of the hurricane, so they could possibly bring that in. But if you're at Yellowstone, it's pretty isolated, so you're 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 talking about coming in from a from a distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, th- I think a lot of the uh, firefighting on federal
2: lands is done on, on through contractors uh, or people that are uh, more intermittent mm-hmm. employees of the Department of Agriculture or Department of Interior, and they. During the fire season, yeah. get get called to different locations. Okay,
0: I understand that, but I don't
2: know what. I, I, I so frankly are don't are know the whether they uh, with them. What, Whether there are funds in those contracts that can be be called
3: on. And, and, and part of this, of what I have my experiences are in what they call reimbursable funds. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, that you you actually do the work, mm-hmm. and you send in a billing into the federal government, and they will pay you maybe eighty percent of the cost. Um, so it depends also. There's some agencies get paid in advance, and then some are paid on a quarterly basis. Some have reserves. So it just depends.
5: You know,
4: the other thing I think is, I mean, you have agencies that they, they call them working capital fund agencies. Mm-hmm. Right now, those employees are are working. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as this this lockout goes on, then you're going to have even those employees that are going to be. I mean, they they've got like ten ten days worth of funds where they can work, but at, after that ten days, then all of a sudden those employees are going to be furloughed, like yeah. the employees at DFAST, because in order for them to uh, in order for them to get the money that they need to pay the employees. I mean, it comes from other agencies, and those agencies, because of the budget hasn't been passed, they can't appropriate funds. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, Jim, I, I want to ask you real quick the, about the contract point. So is that why Crane really isn't impacted like the National Guard? I think Crane maybe has 15 people getting furloughed, but the National Guard, it's... A thousand or no. something.
2: I mean, I think that may have to do with the way that the, the uh, contracts have been structured. There, I mean, that money may have those contracts may be right. coming out of money that's already been appropriated and and been committed to those uh, contracts.
0: Okay, let's go to a well, here's a, a question that came in on live chat uh, from Jeanette. She says, "Has anyone noticed that the people responsible for denying aid always receive what they need or want?" So Congress seems to not have uh missed too many paychecks i think is
1: probably her point.
2: No, you have a few a few of them that are saying they're going to give up the paycheck, but i think if you look at what the average uh, wealth and so on of the people in congress, uh, they they're as a whole people that are going to be in the top 5% or 2% in the uh country and may not miss it like uh, somebody that aren't – like people that Arnold mentioned that are going to be missing it. And I think we we also need to really keep in mind the the, the spillover effects. If federal employees aren't getting paid, they're not going to spend money at the local grocery store, the local barber shop. Uh, local pe- pizza parlor and and other people are going to have their hours cut back, mm-hmm. or the the businesses are going mm-hmm. to going to cut back. So the the ramifications are it's a kind of like a wave that uh, uh,
0: the classic ripple effect. Yeah, uh, yep. you know,
4: I I agree with what you're saying. What I want people to understand is that you know these people are your next door neighbors. They're not some. Lazy bureaucrat, like they portrayed, and this this group of people, these federal workers, have already given up 122 billion dollars towards deficit reduction. That was prior to this uh Sequest. to, the, to yeah. the six-day furlough, and prior to this uh, lockout right here. They've already given 122 billion dollars towards deficit reduction. No other group has given that. And, you know, why the Congress keeps singling out federal workers uh, for more and more cuts? I, I, I don't understand how they expect these people to live, mm-hmm. you know.
3: Well, with some of this on the history on that, goes. this is what they call a sequester. And basically, they, the Congress had set um, guidelines up because they wanted to have a conference uh, group of uh, people from the Senate and the House to come up with a long-term settlement on – on the budget issue, and they had what they call the sequester line, which is a lower funding amount. This is what Arnold's talking about right now. And they thought it was such a hardship for military and other agencies that would be so bad that they would actually come to the table and actually compromise. Mm-hmm. That did not happen.
0: Mm-hmm. But we've, we've got a caller who's been waiting so patiently. Let's go ahead and get to Stan. Hi, Stan. Go ahead. Right. You're on um, the air.
6: I'd, I'd like to be clear in my mind, this refusal to pass a budget uh, is, re, uh, is, is part of the refusal to pay for money, uh, pay for uh, services and goods that ha- had already passed the Congress, the, the upcoming uh, fight over the debt extension. And it, it appears to me they're connected. I wonder if, if your panel could discuss that.
2: Well, I think I, I would separate two issues. One is the annual appropriations uh, process where the, the president submits a budget prior to the beginning of the uh, each fiscal year. And the Congress then normally passes appropriation bills that, that that then will fund the agencies and other programs for the coming year. And it's not at all unusual to have differences between Republicans and Democrats in the Senate and the uh a house, and I guess I would call that the appropriations process and and where there are uh, problems agreeing, sometimes they pass what 's called a continuing resolution, which keeps that uh, keeps the funding at, at the level from the prior year in place until the parties can come to an agreement. The uh, debt ceiling I think as you, as you alluded to uh, relates to the government 's uh, authority to uh, borrow money to cover. Uh, expenditures that have been approved in the past by uh, uh, Congress.
1: Exactly. Thank you for the call, Stan. The the numbers to join the program, 855 or toll-free at one eight seven seven two eight five 285 wfiu You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition and send in your questions that way or send us a tweet at, no, at noon edition. Jim, can you explain a little bit more of the background of the budgeting process and the continuing resolution and how these – because it's not like for the past several years we've actually passed a budget.
2: No, no you, you are quite uh, correct there, and I, when, whenever this topic comes up, I, I – uh, think that I'm, I'm living now in a different world than the one I learned about in school <laughs> and that I saw in Washington during the 1980s, where from the perspective of when I was, for example, deputy administrator at EPA, we, uh, at the maybe in December, would, would send over a proposal for funding the uh, EPA for the next year. We send it over to the Office of Management and Budget. The president would take these requests from different agencies and uh, arrive at a budget uh, proposal for his administration that uh, often d- b- reflected his priorities and might not mm-hmm. the agencies. Mm-hmm. Then that budget was sent to Congress, and uh, the we would have hearings before both the Appropriations Committee and our authorizing committees, the ones that, for example, pass laws like the Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act. Then the Appropriations Committees would, would starting on the House side, which has a constitutional sure, responsibility... Right for uh the uh coming first on the expenditures of money would would craft an appropriation bill then the senate might follow if there were differences they'd have a conference and then out of that a piece of legislation would be sent to the uh, or appropriation would be sent to the president to sign and th- there at that period point in time there are often would i think there are like nine different appropriation accounts something i may not be exact on that but – and uh, over time uh, – well, and I'm sorry. When – if they didn't reach an agreement, then you'd have the uh, the continuing resolution like I mentioned. And if we go back to the times in the 1980s when there were uh, brief shutdowns, often those affected just a, a few agencies right. or part of the uh, uh, programs. Over time, uh, Congress has not gotten that part of the job done. They would often then lump the appropriations for kind of across the government mm-hmm. into an omnibus uh, bill and pass it at the last minute, or pass a continuing resolution and then work out an omnibus bill sure. and and uh, pass it. And the startling background, I mean, of what the current situation is, I mean, Congress, uh, the House uh, has yet to to pass an appropriation bill. They they started to pass uh, or work on a couple of them, and I think they found that the uh, respective uh, chairman of the appropriation subcommittees couldn't fit the numbers they wanted within the 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 budget assigned that the House had had agreed on the defense people wanted more money mm-hmm. than the House would have allowed, and if, if if you got that, then it meant that the people that were concerned about agricultural programs and so on wouldn't be able to to provide the funds. And, anyone.
3: and I, I think one thing also very important on this Jim is that uh, the conference uh, committee, that's when you have an impasse, is that you have a bill from one house. And from the Senate, possibly you're not in agreement. You actually sit down and work out your agreement. Now, there's been an ongoing battle in Congress right now on a conference committee. Uh, one side called for one, I believe, in March. And then I think the other side called for one 15 minutes before the shutdown. Um, so that's an issue is, is that uh, it's understandable that sides don't agree, but they need to sit down and actually be able to work out the, uh, uh, the budget um, uh, process.
0: We we're, okay. we're getting close to break and we've got two callers. Let's uh let's try to at least get let's to see one. if we can get one. Yeah, hi Randy, you want to go ahead? Yeah.
3: How Welcome.
0: Are you? Welcome. Good, good. Go ahead.
7: Thank you for taking my call. I was just curious, uh I, we do have a lot of people in this country that uh work for cash only. Basically, they're not paying into any systems, they're not reported on taxes. They're so far off the radar that no one actually even knows they exist. So my question is, when they show up in an emergency room under the new Affordable Care Act, uh, and they've basically spent their whole lives not paying into anything, and uh, they've, they've had cash jobs unreported, mm-hmm. such as a farm hand or what have you, um, how is this Affordable Care Act, how, how can they enforce it?
2: Well, th- that's not exactly my area of expertise, but my understanding is that mo- most hospitals in this country are not going to turn away somebody if they show up at the emergency room, and then they later have to worry about whether there's going to be a way to uh, uh, get reimbursed. And one of the hopes okay. out of the Affordable Care Act was that okay. you'd have an expansion of Medicaid and and some other programs okay, that would help cover these folks.
7: So basically, you wouldn't have someone lying in the hallway of an emergency room for days waiting to see a physician, right?
2: Uh, Not not lying there because the hospital wouldn't treat them because they didn't have insurance. On the other hand, if if you had experience with hospital emergency rooms, you sometimes (laughs) find that there are a lot of people there that look like maybe they should have gone to prompt care or something else. You know, they've got a cold or... something like that, and don't need an emergency room. But
3: but What I'm
7: asking asking is, how do you enforce the Affordable Care Act upon someone who doesn't even fit on the radar? I mean, that's my question. If someone has a cash job all their life, and they they show up, and then all of a sudden they've got medical conditions, now, how do you enact the, the Affordable Care Laws upon someone who isn't even reporting an income.
0: Randy that is a really specific question about the Affordable Care Act and we would I'm sure we will be doing a show or multiple shows about in, that in the future. I don't think we really have the panel available mm-hmm. for you to address that issue properly today. So if I could beg your patience and keep listening well, and that. and Thank and we will you. we'll it, keep up it, after it. it.
7: Is that something they took into consideration when they were writing these laws? Again You
4: know you know, I just want to say something. I think that the administration has done a poor job in uh, get in, in informing people of what the Affordable Care Act does and what it doesn't do. And uh, you know, I, I think that uh, that's some of the problem that you have with Congress right now.
1: Right. Uh, the the two the are Bible definitely right. you
4: got going right.
1: on. Thank you, Arnold. The two are definitely related, but it's actually time for a break right now. So just want to remind you you are listening to Noon Edition, and today we're talking about the government shutdown. We'll be right back.
5: This is Noon Edition on WFIU.
1: Welcome back to Noon Edition here on WFIU. You can join the conversation today as we talk about the government shutdown. The number is 855 toll free at 1-877-285-WFIU. You can also join the conversation online, WFIU.org slash Noon Edition, and send in your questions that way or tweet at us at Noon Edition. Let me just reintroduce our guests here quickly. We have Frank Nierwicki, who's a lecturer in the School of Public and Environmental Affairs. Affairs at IU. Jim Barnes is here as well. He's also a professor in the School of Public and Environmental Affairs. And Arnold Scott is joining us on the phone. He's the National Vice President of the American Federation of Government Employees for the 6th District. Thanks again to all of you for joining us. We want to get straight to the phones. Now we have Lyle from Nashville, who's been waiting patiently. Go ahead, Lyle.
6: Yes, thank you.
1: Go ahead with your question. Oh, it appears we lost Lyle. Oh, dear. We um, waited so long. Sorry about that, Lyle. Well, you can call back. give us we'll a call back. back. Okay. Um, and let's go ahead and, and just keep the conversation going. We touched on this a little bit before the break, but just the economic impact of a shutdown. If we can drill down on the specifics of that in Indiana, especially as we're trying to recover from a recession here and get mm-hmm. the economy going.
3: The one thing is, I think I read recently we had something like twenty three thousand federal workers in Indiana. Mm -hmm. Roughly twelve thousand that is actually furloughed or actually off the job right now. Uh, That could go up as we go along as this goes further. But the the economics on this is that if you don't have, if as a federal worker and Arnold could could chime in on this, but if you don't have money, you don't go out to buy a restaurant, you don't go to restaurants, you don't, there, you know, there's always going to be a rent or a mortgage payment, a car payment. So there's, this is, has a negative effect on the economy, both at the local level, uh, areas maybe uh, close to an Army or Navy military installation or elsewhere, but it's also at the state level.
4: Well, I think it also impacts the uh, business I mean, if you if if I'm a small business and I'm trying to get a loan and I, I'm going to SBA and SBA is shut down. I mean, it prevents me from getting the resources that I need. So,
0: mm-hmm.
4: I mean, I think it has a drastic impact. The longer that this this uh, shutdown goes on,
0: right? I know realtors are concerned; they can't necessarily uh, get the loans written that they need to have right. written for
1: housing, and that's going to affect. A, well, again, another cascading effect yes. of... of uh, so many things we likely don't even think about. Jim, you're nodding. which yeah. are yeah. <laughs> just a laundry list. Um, Lyle is back on the phone. So, Lyle, we're sorry we, we lost you earlier. Go ahead with your question. Yes,
6: I, I just want to speak to the recklessness that people are now experiencing from uh, Congress. Uh, and a good example of it is, uh, happened in 2006 when Congress, who can't balance a budget, passed a law... Uh, forcing the post office to pre-fund, that means pay right now, for 75 years' worth of health benefits. Mm-hmm. We're talking about health benefits. Yeah. Uh, for retirees, for the post office, now this is for people who didn't work for the post office then, and don't yet, because they haven't even been born yet, and their parents haven't been born yet. No other no other company in the world has ever been uh, forced by law to actually pre-fund 75 years' Into the future, and only given 10 years to do it. And this year, uh, the Post Office, this past year, operated with a 300 million dollar surplus. Uh, but they're they're portrayed in the in the media because of Congress's recklessness uh, of being bankrupt and having to raise uh, the stamps now for you know three cents a piece because of this. When actually, uh, we've been lobbying Congress for for about five years to to just. Do away with this law. Just change it so that, you know, we already have more. The post office itself has more um, uh, retiree health benefits funds paid up than any other major company in the world. Mm -hmm. We are 30 years into the future right now paid for, and it's not enough to suit Congress.
0: Well, Um, thank you for bringing up that point, and I would um, also urge our listeners to um, look at the – uh, go online if you'd like to look at the archives of Noon Edition. We did a show specifically um, about that very topic. If you'd like to explore it a little bit more, um, I please. I, I I would certainly encourage you to do that. It's a it's a very interesting topic. And thank you how for calling, Lord, Lyle. Never
6: get this. Never get this settled in any kind of sense when when these these people cannot even see something right in front of them like this. It's just amazing sure. what they're what they're doing. Yeah. Well,
1: well thank your you for frustration. Thank you, Lyle. Thank you for the call, Lyle. And uh, let's go to Bruce next, who who's waiting on. the on the phone. Bruce, go ahead.
7: Yeah, I'd like the, uh, the panelists to comment on the big picture here. And the big picture is, and uh, let me say, I'm not a partisan person. I, I really don't like political parties at all. But the radical right wing of the Republican Party took over around 2000-2002 completely and will not tolerate a moderate Republican. Uh, example is they shut down John McCain back in his bid for the presidency in 2000. And uh, their politics are the politics of obstruction. These are not mature people who recognize the fact that Obama was elected twice, like it or not. They passed Obamacare. It went to the Supreme Court. It was declared
6: legal, constitutional,
4: you know i agree with the caller on what he's uh what he's talking about uh and then you know i just think that it's a shame that that group uh that radical group that you have in congress right now has taken it to this point and 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 you know i know federal workers resent that they're in the middle of it because all they want to do is go to work Mm -hmm. and perform the duties that the taxpayers uh, pay them for. I mean, these these people are dedicated people, I mean, who, who, uh, you know, no matter what happens, they want to provide the services to the taxpayer. And, you know, I just think it's a shame that they caught up in the middle of this and that Congress is politicizing this this thing with federal workers.
1: Mm -hmm. Jim, just your experience in D.C., are you surprised that we're we're basically at this shutdown because of the Affordable Care Act?
2: Well, whether it's the Affordable Care Act or what it would have been some other issue, I mean, if if you'd asked me a year ago, it was probably going to be on the deficit. But what -hmm. what happened was that the deficit has... Has been uh, declining, and people needed a new issue. I mean, t- to me, one of the things that jumps out is just the uh, the increase in uh, uh, partisanship that uh, through whether it's gerrymandering and other things that that the 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 middle where a lot of us and I guess I would generally think of myself being there don't really feel very well represented by mm-hmm. uh either side and, and and see that in many cases what they ought to be doing is uh is uh, coming uh together uh and I I guess an, another reason why I'm a, a little little con- uh puzzled by what what's happening now the the country's economy is not all that uh, strong now. In contrast to 1995, right. the the economy was booming. The wall, wall Street was doing well. There there wasn't a, the same kind of concern that you're going to mm-hmm. derail the uh, economy that that now is on. Uh, uh, it, it's going in the right direction, but it's by no means. Uh,
3: and, and I think the one issue too is is the process. Um, any one party will be in power at one point, and then the other party will come in. And from a perspective of having people remembering what goes on, and if they can't get along now, the other party comes in. We're going to have are we going to have an ongoing type of uh, meltdown in in D.C. Um, I was fortunate enough to work in Southern Indiana on federal projects with both um, Lee Hamilton, a Democrat from Southern Indiana as a representative, and uh, Dick Luger, the Republican senator from Indiana. Um, those two do not agree on on all topics, but they're very, they were very professional, and their staffs were excellent to work with. And the big thing on both of those, one Republican, one a Democrat, and both associated now with IU, is that they're concerned about the common man or the common mm-hmm. person. And I think that's, that's – we're missing somewhat now.
4: I Wait. think the thing that disturbs me is the Affordable Care Act is law. You know, if Congress wants to change law, then how do you change that? You know, you change it by uh, introducing legislation and, you know, uh, all the stuff that they talk about where they want to negotiate with the president over something that's already law is it's, it's not the process. So I, I, I'm kind of confused as to why, you know, all of this is happening, because that's Arnold, not I... how we change law.
3: Arnold, I don't think you're the only one confused.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of that to go around, certainly. I, I want to invite people to call in and join the conversation. The number is 855 toll free at 1-877-285-WFIU. And we have Nick on the line from Bloomington. Nick, go ahead with your question.
8: Yes, uh, I've been following this on the news as well, and I have kind of two comments. I thought it was pretty interesting, the timing of all this. Um, I agree with the prior talkers that it's already law, it's been established, and it's not the right process to go about um, trying to compromise on the Affordable Care Act. Um, I think the economy is starting to pick up, and and uh, do you think it's a tactic on the Republican side to to try to, prevent the success of the affordable care act and to prevent any uh uh, the economy from taking off um i i as i think it's uh looking towards the 2016 elections
0: so kind of a purposeful sabotage
8: yeah in the sense like this is the right time to try to stop this thing and you know if you if the affordable if the affordable care act is a success And the uh, economy takes off. That's going to play very favorable to the Democratic side for 2016.
0: All right. Let's get the uh, feedback from our panel. What do you think?
2: Well, I I think there is room to to question whether the, the current political climate lends itself to working together toward a public good or the public interest or whether it's prime, the, the positions are primarily designed to serve partisan ends. And, I mean, I think I think if you looked at the history of the right. Affordable Care Act, a lot of those ideas came from Republicans and from the Heritage Foundation. It was what Mitt Romney put in place
3: in, uh, in Massachusetts. So if you get... It goes all the way back. Richard Nixon, a Republican, actually supported that also. I mean, before it was the Affordable Care Act, obviously, but...
1: That's good context. That's that's really interesting. Um, you know,
4: I can I tell you, I, I agree with the caller uh, too on what what the caller's saying. You know, I I just think it's awful. I think it's political.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We do have uh, all the phone lines are full here, so let's try to get to some more folks. Jan from Mooresville is on the line. Jan, go ahead.
9: Hello, thank you for talking with me. Um, what I see this whole situation as is not left and right. It is that we have a president who hasn't been leading. He, you know, what would you call a president who hasn't been able to produce a budget for five years that is acceptable to either party? Both Senate and the Congress have voted his budgets down. Now, for the, for the federal workers, if there had been a budget, there wouldn't be anything about the CR passing or needing to be passed i mean we forget about the basis of why we're here at this time and if you go another analogy what is happening to the federal workers now is only going to happen to all the american workers who are in um oh let's see um not solid employment I also hear. Well, anyway, never mind. I'll I'll be quiet now.
1: Okay. <laughs> Thank you for the call, Jan. Well, the
2: one insight I would offer there, I think the uh, presidents historically deliver budgets to the uh, uh, to Congress. I think during the time I was in in Washington, the, re- the refrain regularly was "dead on arrival." That we on the Congress <laughs> right. are going to look at it and work our. Will and that's part of the uh, uh, process. So the pre- president kind of kicks it off, and then it's up to Congress to figure out: okay, what what is it actually going to authorize money to be spent uh, for? Yeah,
1: eight five five zero eight one one toll free at one eight seven seven two eight five WFIU. You're listening to Noon Edition, and today we're talking about the government shutdown. Let's go to Glenn now, who's calling from Brown County, Glenn.
6: Yes, um, I'd like to speak about the, uh, the question of this being the law. Uh, it is the law, of course, but Article One of the Constitution grants the legislative power of changing a law entirely to Congress. And I'm just going to ask a question. Under what constitutional principle has Obama unilaterally amended this law five times now, and most recently, brazenly, he, he suspended the um, employer mandate for a year and um... and now congress has tried to introduce something that would suspend the individual mandate for a year and congress is doing it according to the law yeah. obama has taken the, the uh... i guess the the right into his own hands five times to change something when he actually had no uh... no constitutional basis for doing it yeah. this is amazing to me um, oh, the thing that people are missing is that the the right, which some people uh, disagree with, they have a right to, that's fine. They are actually within the Constitution to produce these bills and to ask for a delay. And, and they're getting nothing, not even getting a review of it, from someone who has just taken a, a presidential executive order and changed it five times himself. You can check history. That is a fact.
2: Okay. The only thing I would would uh, add there, or, or or maybe correct a little bit, the constitutional uh, constitution provides that that laws are are enacted by Congress that sends them to the president, who can sign it or who can uh, veto it. If he vetoes it, then it, the Congress can override that. So it really entails uh, both uh, uh, branches being uh, involved in it. And I certainly would agree that normally, when you if you've got a law that's not working well then what has happened in the past is a mid-course correction. Congress right. gets together with the administration and somehow co- compromises on what's going to be done. But.
1: Okay. Uh, one more caller here on the line. Here we want to get to Drew from Columbus. Drew, go ahead. Hi, thank you. Thanks for waiting patiently.
10: Uh, I, I was going to uh, simply make the same point that the caller just made about the president himself, quite illegally amending this law uh, on, uh, on no authority at all. Uh, that is the answer to, I believe it was Arnold asking, um, you know, why is it the Congress is behaving this way? Well, the Congress, uh, the President's action brought it to this point. Now, we also hear from many people what one of them earlier callers said that Barack Obama was elected President twice, this bill has been before the Supreme Court, how to be constitutional, etc. And we hear this opinion from time to time that it's just time to do what the president says. The fact of the matter is all these Congress people want elections as well. And they're representing constituents, and, and, and they, have, they have a role to play in government also. And Jim mentioned that what he notes is the partisanship has increased. The truth is, Congress has become more partisan because we are the people have become more partisan. Hmm. I think the calls on this show illustrate that. I can say that from speaking with my own friends and acquaintances that some of these discussions turn from being friendly discussions pretty
1: quickly. Sure. Thanks for the call, Drew, and we'll we'll turn that to our panel here for reaction. One thing
3: I wanted to to talk about is the news um, media and how people get their information. I I think from – I'm old enough to know there's only – when I was young, there's three uh, networks ABC, CBS, and NBC. Now you have a little bit of everything. And I think what I'm seeing myself is that when people have a certain view, be it right or left, they tend to listen to reinforce their, their views. Now, a, a famous quote goes back to the election of, uh, of Nixon over McGovern. Uh, a famous uh, newspaper rep- uh, uh, publisher was saying, couldn't understand how McGovern didn't win. All her friends voted for (laughs) for McGovern. Well, that's because that has a small uh, uh, base that you're looking at. One other item I want to talk about is gerrymandering, which is actually uh, distributing where the congressional districts are actually located. Uh, both parties do it it 's been going on for a long time mm-hmm. they each party wants to draw it to be more effective than their own. Mm-hmm. so you have very few you have very few uh congressional districts that are competitive, which means that a Republican or a Democrat has an equal chance of winning. So that's a problem Mm -hmm. that we're facing right now.
1: We've talked a whole lot about the politics of this, and understandably, people people Mm -hmm. want to spend time talking about that. But if we can just for a minute uh, talk about the employees here again. And I know (laughs) as of before we came in here, 800 federal workers in Indiana had already applied for unemployment benefits. So a couple questions, Frank. When they can start receiving benefits, honestly... Are we saving money this way if they're seeking these other benefits? Um, Help us out.
3: Well, are you looking at people that are actually going to be unemployed? Um, uh, Basically, from a perspective of of looking at uh, getting back pay and some other things, uh, there's there's a possibility people are going to be paid. I think the the issue on this is that there's going to be lost productivity by not having people work. Um, At the federal level, and 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 Arnold could talk to you about that. But the other loss we're going to have is the people associated with the shutdown will not have that opportunity to get their back pay. Um, So I don't know, Jim, you have anything? No, the only thing I was going to
2: add. The stories I've read suggest that that people will apply for unemployment if they get benefits and later get. Receive a retroactive pay, they'll have to pay those unemployment benefits back. Okay. And I think generally they had to. I, I'm not sure what the situation is in, in, under Indiana law, but some cases you may have to wait wait a week or more right. before you can start receiving those benefits. So you you're not you just don't have to go to your grocery store or dentist or doctor this week. You wait until next week when the when you'll have a little more money in your pocket.
1: Huh. Yeah. And some of the folks we, we talked to this week at the National Guard offices were already planning to go out and try to get jobs at the grocery stores or or things like that. I, I, I'm wondering if that probably well, gets back to that productivity.
3: Well, the issue on this, too, is, is, is talking a little bit what Jim mentioned before. You, we have it today versus what went on in 95-96. It was much easier to get a job, another job, in 95-96 mm-hmm. than it is right now.
1: Right. And I,
4: think, I think the other thing that you run into is that that the federal government are going to lose good federal servants uh, behind this, because I know I, when I was at Grissom uh, yesterday, I was talking with an individual who said he has just gotten fed up with uh, being furloughed, and so therefore uh, he's taking another job someplace else. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. We only have a couple minutes left in the program here. Still a couple folks online. line. Francis from, from Greene County, go ahead.
11: Uh, Yes, thank you very much for taking my call. I have a question uh, to ask. What kind of impact would it have if all of the politicians, not necessarily the the salaried people who, who are not elected, but all of the politicians, when they decided to put this operation in effect, gave up all of their income not just what they are paid as the politician but all of their personal income beyond what someone could glean at some unemployment or maybe from what the rest of us live on which is minimum wage and devote that to keeping the government in operation Well, Well, I know that's a wild, crazy thought. uh, No,
3: there's a lot of thoughts, people thinking similar things right now, I believe. Uh, I think the one thing that I've heard from some people saying is that be it at a state level or the federal level is if you don't have a budget passed, uh, a lot of times the state level, they'll go in and call a special session Mm -hmm. and then they will get paid extra money. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some comments is, is if you don't get the budget paid, then you paid the government back every day you don't have a budget. I don't know if that's the right way, but some people feel that way.
11: Yeah. Uh, well, thank you <laughs> thank- from Greenpoint because I I kind of feel that way, and maybe should take it one step farther. Um, thank you for your thank- program and all your information. Goodbye.
1: Thanks for the call, Francis. Uh, Jim, we only have a couple minutes left here in the program, but just given your vast experience with shutdowns, if, if you can sort of look into your crystal ball here. If we can speculate what's going to happen next, we have this deadline with the debt ceiling. Or
2: I, I, I don't. Have, my crystal ball is still pretty cloudy. I, I <laughs> but I saw something this morning that really start that startled me a little bit, and that is a suggestion that some of the banks are now trying to uh, unload their treasury bills and are looking to have extra cash on hand, anticipating that if there is uh, a problem with the not authorizing the. Uh, uh, extension of the uh, debt uh, dead li- i mean the debt limit that there's going to be you know kind of economic chaos, and uh, people are trying to prepare themselves for that i 'm sure there's some people on wall street that are that are doing options and
3: so on right. they 're going to protect themselves if there 's a downtime or downside but well the one thing I see on this is the two two events: the federal shutdown and the debt limit are going to come together. So we we need to be able to uh, look at that. There may be a grand bargain in all this. We'd hope, but...
1: Okay, well, unfortunately, we are out of time for this week. So thank you so much to Frank Nierwicki, Arnold Scott, and Jim Barnes for being with us today. It was certainly a a good conversation. And Mary Catherine, as always, a pleasure hosting with you. For our producers, Emily Wright and Gretchen Frazee and engineer Mike Passcash. thank you so much for listening to Noon Edition. Have a great day.